1: San Diego County has advised vulnerable people to stay indoors due to poor air quality caused by wildfire smoke. Rob Ryder with the San Diego County Air Pollution Control District says the haziness has stuck around due to the stagnant weather we've had, but he says that'll change.
2: We expect the current particles in the air to clear out by this weekend. Um, We expect a different uh, weather regime coming that'll have more um, uh, onshore wind flows.
1: In the meantime, people who are vulnerable to air quality problems are advised to stay indoors. All San Diego State University students living on campus will now have to get tested for COVID-19. The university will start a random testing initiative today in what they're calling surveillance testing. Under the new partnership with the county, they expect to test 500 students each day. Dr. Ile Oren is with the SDSU School of Public Health.
3: This week of enhanced testing is going to provide us a broader baseline of the COVID prevalence on campus and what are some of the hot spots, where is transmission uh, occurring, and that's really going to guide our future efforts.
1: If there is widespread participation in the plan, the school says it will not re-implement the stay at home order, which expired Monday morning. Students who live off campus are also encouraged to get tested. County Supervisor Jim Desmond proposed a motion to stop enforcing state-imposed COVID-19 closures, but his motion failed to make it to a vote. KPBS's Matt Hoffman reports.
3: Desmond says the state's reopening guidelines are unreasonable and unattainable. If a business does decide to open, it will be at their own risk with the state mandates the state may enforce. While some of his colleagues agree there are some inconsistencies with reopening guidelines, his motion failed to get a second. Supervisor Diane Jacob did not agree with his approach.
4: Whether we like the rules or not, we need to play by the rules. At the same time, work within the system to change the rules.
3: Under the state's new color-coded tier system, San Diego is dangerously close to slipping out of the red tier. That would mean that restaurants, gyms, and personal care businesses would have to once again stop their indoor operations. County health officials say if it weren't for outbreaks among San Diego state students, we would not be facing any more restrictions. And right now they are in negotiations with the state to remove those cases from our county totals.
1: That was KPBS's Matt Hoffman. It's Wednesday, September 16th. You're listening to San Diego News Matters from KPBS News, a daily morning news podcast powered by everyone in the KPBS newsroom. I'm Annika Colbert. Stay with me for more of the local news you need to start your day. A new organization in North County has opened to support the black community there. KPBS reporter Jacob Ayer says Encinitas for Equality has space for black business and programs for young people.
3: The concept of the organization began in June after the killing of George Floyd. Molly Woods Drake, Felicia Rollins, and Jody White helped lead protests in Encinitas, but decided they needed to form Encinitas for Equality to bring lasting change in their community. Co-founder Molly Woods Drake says, the space helps to create understanding between people of different races.
4: We urge everyone in the community, come by here, you know, purchase Black, but more importantly, come and have a conversation and dialogue about what we can all do together to end systemic oppression.
3: Encinitas for Equality seeks to improve different areas of life for Black and minority communities in North County. Those include community building, policing, housing, youth, and business. Organizers say their building has created a place for the first Black-owned businesses in Encinitas. Jacob Air, KPBS News.
1: On Tuesday, district attorneys in San Joaquin, Contra Costa, and San Francisco counties announced the formation of the Prosecutors' Alliance of California. The alliance is fighting what it calls the politics of mass incarceration and failed strategies of the past. They say they're breaking away from the more traditional California District Attorneys Association. San Francisco District Attorney Chessa Boudin says fighting crime has to go beyond warehousing criminals.
5: At the local level and at the state level, there's absolutely no political
2: will to invest in reentry planning to ensure that uh, people who are being released from jail or prison have a safe place to go. It is unacceptable that we use, whether it be a local county jail or state prison, as a homeless shelter.
1: The alliance plans to act as an advocacy arm to weigh in on state legislation, ballot initiatives, and candidate races. Climate change and fire suppression are among the top reasons why experts say California wildfires have grown so big. But others say removing indigenous people from the land is an overlooked reason behind today's explosion of fires. Cap Radio's Ezra David Romero reports.
4: As a four-year-old Bill Tripp's great-grandmother taught him how to burn land on purpose, those cultural burns are a way of keeping wildfire in check. Walked up the hill through Walker and Handed me a box of stick matches and told me to burn a line from this point to that point. Now as deputy director of the Karak tribe's natural resources department at the northern tip of California, he's working to give indigenous people more power to practice cultural burns. Tripp is doing this work because Native American people were largely removed from the landscape in the mid-19th century. That altered California, said Char Miller, an environmental analysis professor at Pomona College.
2: Once the state of California enacted what we can call a genocidal attack upon Native peoples in the state, what started to happen was that the lands that they had tended, managed, started to do what nature does,
5: which is to grow.
4: Miller says the systematic anti-Indigenous racism resulted in the exclusion of fire. Ron Good is a tribal chairman of the North Fork Mono.
0: Well, removal of Native Americans from the land is, is a result of what
3: we have today.
4: Good says there's some hope. He's working with agencies in the central Sierra to increase cultural burns and to restore mountain meadows. But how scalable are indigenous practices? Don Hankins, a Plains Miwok fire expert at Chico State, says very It's definitely scalable on the larger public lands that are out there. You know, I'll develop maps to think about how I would go about burning in those
2: particular places.
4: But Hankins admits for change to come... Californians need to adapt to the idea that fires aren't always bad. In Sacramento, I'm Ezra David Romero.
1: The Aztecs football team is leaving San Diego. Temporarily. San Diego State said Tuesday morning the team will play its next two seasons in Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California, which happens to be the same place the Chargers played when they first moved to L.A. KPBS's John Carroll reports.
0: Many fans posting on an Aztecs fan page independent from the university were not happy with the news, some saying they were going to cancel their season tickets. But in a Tuesday afternoon Zoom news conference, SDSU Director of Athletics J.D. Wicker said it makes more sense to play the next two shortened seasons, this fall and next spring, 112 miles to the north. Uh, Our fans are going to see a much improved experience as well. Uh, you know, better video boards, better concessions. Wicker also says once they got inside SDCCU Stadium and saw its current condition, they were surprised and realized it would take a lot of money to bring it up to snuff, only to have it torn down once the new stadium is complete. John Carroll, KPBS News.
1: A Pentagon task force is looking at why the Navy doesn't have more African-Americans in top jobs. Only a handful of Navy admirals are black, and none of them are at the two highest ranks. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh reports for the American Homefront Project.
6: The problem starts at the top. Out of 268 admirals in the U.S. Navy, only 10 are African-American. Most of them are rear admirals, like Alvin Halsey, who is running the Navy Task Force. That's pretty
2: small. Uh, Yes, it is. Yes.
6: Right now, there are no African-American admirals at the two highest ranks. Building an admiral is a 20 to 30-year commitment, Halsey says. It's not just about test scores and performance reviews. Someone has to be willing to guide that young officer.
2: As a black officer in Navy, I'll tell you that i would mentor more people that don't look like me, that look like me. sure mathematics, right? Uh, But I will tell you also, because there's very few guys who've come before me in in, in small numbers, uh, someone who don't look like me had to reach out and engage and make a difference in my career.
6: African Americans are 13% of the population, but only 9% of naval officers. So the pipeline starts off small. Then, somewhere along the way, many people just become exhausted, says Keith Green, a lieutenant commander who retired in the 1990s he recently wrote the book Black Officer White Navy it is not simply just unconscious bias there are active behaviors that are happening to people because they don't like working for a black person or a minority and they don't like having you know one be
2: their uh, their uh, supervisor
6: Not everyone an African-American officer encounters is a problem, Green says, but the extra effort to work around those who are takes its toll on their career. Not only do you have to do all the other stressful things that any military person has to do, you have to play that double game of trying to figure out why you're being treated differently or what's happening to you, why is something happening to you that isn't happening to other people. Retired Rear Admiral Sinclair Harris heads the National Naval Officers Association, which has worked for 50 years to promote diversity in the sea services. He says it takes hundreds of ensigns to eventually make one admiral, or what the Navy calls flag officers.
5: You've got to bring more people in in the beginning so that the quality cut that you're going to have, especially when you get to senior officer and get to flag officer, you have enough people in the pot.
6: He calls it Death Valley, that point where junior officers opt to end their careers. Graduating from the Naval Academy is the most well-worn path to Admiral, but less than 6% of the current class at the Naval Academy is African-American. The Academy is not the only path. Admiral Harris was rejected when he applied at the beginning of his career. Harris says one solution is mentoring officers who come through less traditional paths.
5: When you only have one out of 20, Uh, diverse candidates going up for flag officer in a certain community and they decide, hey, you know what, I just got this high-paying job at IBM. Guess what? Now you're down to zero and you got to look through that pipeline and that pipeline is anemic.
6: The Navy is more diverse at lower ranks. 20% of enlisted sailors are African-American. Force Master Chief Cuban Phillips is part of the One Navy Task Force, which is looking at how to end discrimination
3: in the ranks. Uh, Throughout my 31 years, uh, where I've seen uh, racism or discrimination personally against me, uh, I knew what the policy was, right? I knew that it was wrong. But when you're in a minority, you just kind of put your head down, right? You kind of figure out, you think about self-preservation, you think about your family, you think about the bigger picture.
6: At the moment, the Navy is encouraging enlisted and officers alike to speak up. One Navy task force is scheduled to issue its report in December.
1: That was KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Coming up on the podcast, San Diego State University is dealing with an outbreak among hundreds of students on and off campus. UC San Diego, meanwhile, is testing out a new app to prevent outbreaks when its campus opens later this month.
2: It's the people at the college party or at the restaurant or at the bar or the grocery store on the plane and the bus who you would not otherwise know their name and phone number when the contact tracers call you. Those are the people who will be notified and would not have been otherwise notified.
1: That's up next after this break.
2: Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz,
6: we invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.
1: At San Diego State University, more than 600 students contracted COVID-19 in the first weeks of school. Soon after, UC San Diego postponed the reopening of its La Jolla campus to the end of September. They're now looking at using a smartphone app to help with contact tracing as a way to control the spread of the virus once classes begin. To discuss the new app, KPBS Midday Edition host Mark Sauer spoke with Dr. Christopher Longhurst, the Chief Information Officer and Associate Chief Medical Officer at UC San Diego Health. Here's that interview.
5: Start with the smartphone tool. What is it and who will have it on their phones? So the
2: um, smartphone tool that we're talking about uh, is not actually a contact tracing application. It's called an exposure notification application. What that means is that if you come into contact with somebody whose phone um, is close to yours and they're diagnosed with COVID, that you could get an anonymous notification of exposure. And that allows you to go get tested and shorten that cycle time and hopefully... Uh, hopefully limit the spread of any outbreak.
5: Now, so if I'm on campus as a student or a staff faculty member, and suddenly I get a beep on my phone, it's gonna tell me just what exactly? So you might get that beep on your phone and you'd get a message that says, uh, you've come into close
2: contact with somebody who is recently diagnosed with COVID, please call this number for more information. And when you call the number, you'll get the UC San Diego Health testing line. And based off the message that you're getting, we can give you a risk-prioritized recommendation around either isolating or um, actually getting tested. For example, if you were exposed um, just uh, within the last couple of days, we might ask you to get tested today and again, five days from now. And of
5: course, that's at no cost to our students and employees. And how's this really gonna help? Who is this most important for this new tool? We think that this exposure notification tool is not going to help
2: your household contacts, friends and family members that you would call and tell anyway if you were diagnosed with COVID. We think that the people that it's going to help most are the strangers. It's the people at the college party or at the restaurant or at the bar and the grocery store on the plane and the bus who you would not otherwise know their name and phone number when the contact tracers call you. Those are the people who will be notified and would not have been otherwise notified. And that's where we're really going to um, get a movement on these outbreaks.
5: Now, the university got state permission to launch a pilot program for this. It's not been done elsewhere in California, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. In fact, it's almost the the reverse, which is the state um, has decided to roll this out in a pilot and UC San Diego stepped forward and volunteered.
5: And what about privacy concerns? Does this mean participants in this program can have their movements tracked?
2: Absolutely not. I'm glad that you asked. Um, These exposure notification applications from Apple and Google do not allow for any location tracking. And that's really important. There were some rumors early in the pandemic that uh, some countries in Asia and elsewhere We're using location tracking for contact tracing. And it turns out, not only does that not help, it doesn't work. Um, This is really distance-based. It's using Bluetooth to measure distance to other people's phones. Um, It doesn't track any location at all. That being said, this is a voluntary and opt-in program. And we hope that our uh, employees and students will uh, choose to opt-in. But we know the number one concern that comes forward is privacy. We've done extensive reviews from a privacy standpoint. And we feel really confident that this is an anonymous system that will not store any uh, individual user data.
5: And how many students do you expect back on campus at the end of the month? And any guess on how many students and staff will opt to participate in this particular program?
2: So we're expecting close to 8,000 students back on campus uh, and thousands more who will be moving off campus into the region. The prediction for how many will adopt it, uh, your guess may be as good as mine, but our goal is over 75%. Uh, We know that with over 50% adoption, that we can actually have an impact on the spread of this uh, disease. Even lower rates can help prevent infections.
5: I had read that this had been tried elsewhere in the world during the pandemic. Uh, What have you learned from uh, experiments in other places?
2: It's a great question. So Apple and Google announced this technology that they were working on in March. They rolled it out in May. And over the summer, we saw a number of privacy-forward European countries actually adopt this technology. So the United Kingdom, Ireland, Germany, Switzerland, Canada, and others have started rolling this out over the last couple of months. So we're definitely building on their best practices. One of the things that we've learned from the other six US states that have already rolled this out, like Virginia, Alabama, and even Arizona, is that putting the uh, notification process at the contact tracing stage is a little bit too far downstream. So the way that the notification works, if I'm diagnosed with COVID, is that I'm given a key code to enter because we don't want just anybody to be able to attest that they've uh, been diagnosed, right? So that key code is what starts the anonymous exposure notification process. So rather than having our contact tracers uh, give out those key codes, we're actually asking our testing line to do it. So after we test you here at UC San Diego Health, and we do a thousand tests every day, um, on a daily basis, we're gonna find some students and some employees who are positive. When we call them up, we'll say, hey, you've been diagnosed uh, with COVID. We're going to call you on a daily basis to check in on you and your symptoms. And we can give you a six-digit key code to anonymously alert people you may have exposed if uh, you'd like to put that in. So it's a voluntary
5: step. And this pilot program at UCSD, I'm sure it's going to be watched closely across the state and the nation. What other protections will be in place when students return to campus?
2: Our uh, most important protection
5: is obviously masking.
2: And so uh, we're asking all of our students, faculty, and staff to wear uh, masks in any space where they uh, could encounter other people. And that's really the root of uh, prevention of COVID-19. This is something that can augment contact tracing if there is an outbreak. But the modeling certainly shows that it's likely to help. Um, You know, what could be an outbreak affecting 20, 30, or 40 students might be reduced to three or four students because we're testing and isolating more quickly than we would be without this tool.
1: That was Dr. Christopher Longhurst of UC San Diego speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Mark Sauer. We have a correction for a story we aired in yesterday's podcast. The original version of our story on outbreaks by zip codes incorrectly stated the percentage of outbreaks in manufacturing and food processing in the two South Bay zip codes. The correct percentage is more than 40%. And that's it for our podcast today. Thanks for listening.